Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Our sermon passage this morning, again, we're plotting through the book of 1 Corinthians. It'll be 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 6 through 21. Hear the word of God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. May we understand what it means to be blessed as poor and meek in spirit and in truth. May we understand your gospel uh, this morning through 1 Corinthians 4. May our lives be transformed, not according to worldly standards, but to heavenly. Bless us with your spirit through your word this morning. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are here this morning for the Sunday school... I covered a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount, just a couple passing statements. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Next, in verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our Lord Jesus deals harshly with the proud, and he deals gently with the humble. And if we remember back a couple of weeks ago, 
we learned about the faithful and evil stewards of the master's house. How Paul was kind of using that, uh, that illustration to help us understand the building of the kingdom of God. The evil steward was proud, and he ate and drank as if his master would never return. He abused his, his subjects and used them for his own profit. The evil steward was judged for his pride, but the faithful steward was given the whole estate. The kingdom is for the poor in spirit, and only the meek, or the humble, will inherit the earth. Now, another way to think about this reality is in terms of kings and fathers. Kingship and fatherhood. If you'll remember, about, uh, we covered a little bit of the Proverbs throughout 1 Corinthians. But the whole book of Proverbs revolves around this imagery, this dynamic of kingship and fatherhood. The kingdom belongs to Solomon's son, but only if he follows his father's instructions. If he ignores his father's wisdom, he will squander what is given to him. He says it will lead him to Sheol, to death. We can even see this in the history of Israel. And ironically, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, his successor, ignored his late father's wisdom and brutally managed the kingdom of Israel. His reign actually caused a schism between the northern and southern kingdoms and it ultimately led to war. And like Rehoboam, the Corinthians are dividing up the kingdom of God with their sins. They're not meekly receiving the apostles' instructions. Instead, they're glorying in their own wisdom. Instead of listening to their spiritual fathers, they wish to squander the good gifts they've been given, to live like kings of their own kingdoms, rather than living for the sake of God and one another. But our Lord says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And the wisdom of the cross highlights this truth. The wisdom of the cross leads to true kingship, true power. The inheritance of the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth, that is our inheritance in Christ, is revealed in this age and fully realized in the age to come through humility and love, especially exhibited in the church. Pride seems to be the central problem of the Corinthians. But even in Paul's rebuke of their pride, he shows his own humility. He says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. So Paul's point here, in figuratively transferring these examples, his point here is that there are probably no factions in the Corinthian church for Apollos and, and Paul, and even Cephas. There may not be factions in the Corinthian church for those particular teachers and apostles. That may not be the point. But this means that there are factions in Corinth around other personalities, and instead of outing those men, because it's not always their fault if people follow them and and attribute their name to certain things, instead of outing those men and making a spectacle of them, Paul transfers the point over to him and to Apollos as examples of such divisions. So this is a kindness not only to the men involved in the controversies, but the teachers and the apostles. It's an example to the Corinthians how to think of your name and your reputation. You're to bring it low. So he transfers that particular schism and division over to his own name 
into Apollos' name. Even in his illustrations, he is meek. And he uses himself and Apollos as examples so that they may learn not to think beyond what is written, so that they may not be puffed up with pride or arrogance. So like a father to a son, Paul is giving the Corinthian church wisdom through examples. Think about it this way. When you speak to your children, depending on the age, usually starting at the youngest kids, you have to speak to them through examples. At the very youngest, uh, um, at the, the youngest of ages, you speak to them through your example, by doing things with them and showing them things, right? When they get a little bit older, you use picture books and uh, examples of that, uh, illustrations and things like that. When they get older, then you can talk to them and you can discuss those particular topics through word and discussion. You often have to speak through example either physically or verbally. We need pictures first and then discuss it more fully later. And this is what Paul and Apollos are doing. Paul and Apollos' example shows that there are no differences from them and other teachers and pastors in their congregation. The pastors whose names they form their factions under. There's no difference between them. They're not above them. right? So he uses them in, as a placeholder in an example. He says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? So in his example, he shows that he's no different than the other teachers. But he also shows them that this is the point of their own divisions. That they are no different than one another. We have all received the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we have, all that we have, has been given to us by Him. And one aspect of meekness or humility is knowing this. If we have any good in us, it comes from God. And because of this, we are indebted to His grace. As one church father tells us, we must not boast in anything because we possess nothing. We only possess anything when we belong to Christ who possesses all things. So why do, the, why do the Corinthians, why do other Christians boast as if they earned all that they possess? They received it. It was given to them. And here we can see starting in verse 8, Paul's sharpness of speech. He changes his speech here. When Paul says that the Corinthians are already full and reigning as kings without the apostles there, he is using irony. He's using irony. Either Paul is, uh, talked about how, uh, earlier I should say, Paul talked about how the Corinthians are promised all things. The apostles, the teachers, the world, the life, the death, all things present and all things to come, all things belong to the Corinthians because they belong to Christ and Christ to God. But here, he plays on this idea, and he uses a little bit of irony. He plays on this idea in a pointed way. All things are theirs in Christ, but not all things will be realized in this life. He says, but the Corinthians, they're already full. They're already living like they have and possess all things. Already reigning as kings. They are already living as if Christ has come and will not come again. They have an over-realized eschatology. The truth is that there is a, an already but not yet dimension to life in this world, in life in the kingdom of God. All things are ours by promise, 
but not all things will be experienced before the coming of Christ. So Paul mocks them. A little godly ridicule here. He says, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. It's as if he's saying, I'm so glad you're living it up in Corinth, right? I wish, it must be nice. Our life is not like your life. You're already full. You're already reigning as kings. That must be really nice. And not only is this ironic because of the already not yet theme of the kingdom, but it is ironic because they are trying to reign backward. They're trying to reign backward. Those who reign are those who are ridiculed, those called foolish, and who go without. The way of the cross is the true way to kingship. And the Corinthians want to live as if they already are ruling over the earth. They make their own little kingdoms vying for approval and attention. Paul mocks them even further in verse 10. The apostles have been made a spectacle to the world, and the Corinthians are living it up and possibly criticizing teachers and apostles' teachings. So he says this, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you, you're strong. You are distinguished, you're honored, but we are dishonored. In other other words, the world loves them and rewards them for their worldly wisdom and living. Meanwhile, the apostles, following the ways of Jesus, are humiliated by the public. They're persecuted and they're defamed. The Corinthians reign as kings but produce the works of the world. They revile one another. They persecute the poor and ignorant among them. They defame the apostles and teachers of the church. And by contrast, the lives of the apostles are different. They are hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless. These men work with their hands to provide for themselves, while the the rich Corinthians, they, they have other people to do that hard work. But unlike the Corinthians... Their fruit is, a response, is in response to all the sufferings and trials that are included in their lives. Their fruit is in, res- in response to all these sufferings and trials. includes blessing while being reviled. It includes endurance while being persecuted. It includes instructing when being defamed. And the irony is that the apostles are the ones that are truly reigning. Not the Corinthians. They reign over their passions and over their desires, over their bodies and over their circumstances. This is what true wisdom and humility look like. Humility doesn't return evil for evil. And true wisdom is a faithful life in the face of hardship, looking forward to the reward in Christ. So, ironically, the Corinthians, they reign as kings now, but they are not reigning as Christians reign. And as brutal and deserving as this rebuke may be, Paul makes sure to explain to the church that it is all out of love for their souls. This is why he's telling them this. He's writing to them as a loving father writes to his children. He's not trying to shame them. He's trying to correct their paths and set them on the right path toward wisdom and power. So he says they have plenty of instructors. And he doesn't shame them Uh, uh, the instructors for instructing them, but points out that they are for their good. He says that these 
these instructors, he's not saying that these instructors are bad and that the apostles and, uh, and elders are good. He's saying that they're good, but they have plenty of them. They have plenty of people who can teach them all these good things. But the Corinthians do not have many fathers. And Paul's not just talking about himself being the first minister in Corinth. What is implied in the statement is that though they may have many teachers, they do not have the love, they do not have the love that the apostles give them. The apostles love them more than these teachers and factions do. And because of this, he calls on them to imitate him. Imitate him in his fatherly love. Though Paul had experienced much pain and humiliation and hunger and thirst for their sake, he continues to be an example for them. And though the Corinthians may not show gratitude for the work that Paul had done for them, he continues to pursue them as a loving father pursues his son. And even more than this, Paul sends Timothy to them. He sends his only beloved and faithful son in the Lord. So again, Paul is imitating the Father in heaven, giving his son in the Lord over to the ungrateful Corinthians, who will remind them of his ways and of their ways in Christ, so that they can be nourished to maturity in the wisdom of the cross. And as any father would do, Paul warns them that he will come again. And when he does, he expects to hear the word of those who exhibit the power of the gospel and not those puffed up by pride. In other words, he expects progress. He expects them to change. He expects them to grow up. The meek shall inherit the earth. And this is what he expects when he returns. The kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit. Meekness and faithfulness to the Lord over and against the world are the ways of the kingdom. And this is what Paul desires of his children. And Paul is going to make sure that he fulfills his fatherly duties. What does he say at the end of this passage? What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or in love and a spirit of gentleness? When we think about the rod, we think about a lot of things. We think about Psalm 23. right? Our Lord is a shepherd. His rod and his staff comforts me. We think of Proverbs 13. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. So if you hate your son, you don't discipline him. You only discipline him because you love him. So Paul's saying, am I going to come back and have to discipline you again? Or am I going to come back with love and a spirit of gentleness? Should Paul come back to a house united by the power of the gospel or a house puffed up with pride? Now, it may seem like that we are given insight into a particularly intimate conversation with the Corinthians and Paul. And this is certainly the case, right? Why did God give us such an intimate conversation to dive into? Well, like all Holy Scripture, it applies to us as well. There are many instructors that we have in Christ. Paul's number of 10,000 here is hyperbolic, but for us, it could actually probably be closer to the truth, right? We probably have tens of thousands of teachers that we have access to. 
We have access to thousands of teachers, but we do not have access to many fathers. These teachers are beneficial, and they're useful for what they do, for the building up of the kingdom of God, for instruction and teaching. But they do not love you like your local church, like the fathers that you have in the faith, like those who are bound to care for you, to love you and to shepherd you. We may not be the most learned of all theologians here at Trinity Reformed Church. We may not be able to preach with fire and passion as other preachers may preach. We may not have all of these special, unique qualities that other teachers we have access to may have. But the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And this extends beyond the leadership of our local church. It extends to all of us and our relationships with one another. What we have each received from God is grace. And this means that it is not just for you, but for the whole body's benefits. Your wisdom is for others. Your strength is for others. And we can see this clearly in the lives of the apostles. They gave up themselves completely for the building up of the kingdom of God. Now, not all of us can devote the time that the apostles devoted to their, to their work for the kingdom. And we will see later that Paul did not have a family to care for. He didn't have a wife to provide for. But we can certainly work for the sake of, of the kingdom in each of our own particular vocations, in our spheres of influence, in our lives, in our local body. But before that is possible, we have to be marked by meekness and charity. When we are reviled by the church and the world, we bless. When we are persecuted by those within the church or without, we endure it with patience. When we are defamed or slandered, we exhort and we entreat. When we are made spectacles of the world, we have a chance to show the power of the kingdom, not through returning evil for evil, but good for evil. Meekness Meekness is a faithful living unto God and neighbor despite evils committed against you. That is true kingship. That is true reigning. That reigning over, over the self is real power. So when hard times do come, we have an amazing opportunity to showcase the glorious power of the kingdom to come. We cannot live this life as if the kingdom has been fully realized. We cannot live this life as if Christ will not return. We have to build. We have to work. We have to trust. We have to be humble. We have to give our lives for the kingdom of God. It is true that the kingdom of God will cover the earth. That the gates of hell will not prevail. That our Lord Jesus will cause every enemy to bow before him in history through his church in spirit. And he will come again to put away death forever. All of this is true. The kingdom of God will expand. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But we still live in a world that desires the lives of our children. A world that hates Christ and his church. A world that will give you a lot of goodies if you just forsake his name. We live in a world with sin and with sinners. And this is why we must be a people who can reign over our own passions, over our own desires, over our own sin. We're in a time in which the culture is coming for us. We're on the defense. 
We cannot be oriented toward building our own kingdoms or consuming the latest luxuries. The power of the kingdom is made known through the humility of the church. And the humility of the church under stress. And the love of the church for one another. We will become spectacles to the world. We will be reviled. We will be persecuted. We will be defamed. This is a part of the life of the Christian in every time and in every age. We will become spectacles to the world. We will be the offscoring of all things. But even so, in our love for one another, in our humility under trials, no matter what may happen to the body, no matter what may happen to our finances, no matter what may happen to us, we will show the world something far more powerful than any law, any government, any revolution, or any power in this world. This kind of power is contagious. This kind of power spreads. This is the power exhibited in the martyred saints before us. This is the kind of power that lays the groundwork for future generations of blessing and faithfulness. To be meek, to be humble, is not to be a pushover. The opposite is true. True meekness is virtue under pressure. This kind of humility inherits the kingdom. This kind of strength over our passions and desires is true power. This kind of humility possesses all things and conquers all things. It is the fruit of kings because it is the fruit, it is the fruit of the king of all kings. So saints, imitate the meekness and humility of the apostles as they imitate Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.